All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as your family. This is such a privilege and an honor and a way to be separate from the world. We appreciate each other, the brothers and sisters you've given us in Christ. We appreciate the ability to gather around your word, like gathering around a campfire and sharing your goodness and your greatness and your sacrifice. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that your spirit guide the speaker and your spirit instruct us and help us understand what we need to understand today. And most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your son out of heaven, down to earth to become one of us in a humiliated form, yet willingly doing this thing for us, taking our place once for all at the cross. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, as you can see, we're going to be talking about the fullness of the gospel. And uh, I'm excited to share some things with you that the Spirit's kind of been putting on my heart over the last few months. It's been quite a, um, a tweaking of the gospel proper, I think, in our souls, uh, in our understanding, um, and hopefully even in our presentation, uh, as we see the fullness of the gospel come out, as we see that maybe we had a weak gospel before. And now there's, there's something that God is asking us to round out, to fill out, and to therefore make it a stronger gospel and uh, something that people will be more drawn to, I think. So regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it cannot be encapsulated or is not encapsulated in just one verse in the Bible, as much as we have our favorite verse, we saw Pastor Collins took us through that last week. Do you remember? going to different gospel verses, and how not one of those verses you could say had the complete gospel in it, right? Whether it was John 3.16 or 1 Corinthians 15.3-4. Wherever you go, you could say there's something missing. You can't encapsulate the whole uh, depth of the gospel in one verse. And so I want to start the, today by giving you a couple more examples of that, which I was just reading as I'm reading my Bible. I'm in the book of Acts right now. And I was just reading Acts, and it just really jumped out to me because of that recent uh, example that Pastor gave us last week. And I believe it's just different ways of giving the same good news message that God says there's not one way to do anything. You know, the, the message is the same, the core is the same, but there's always into the rose bush, right? There's always into the rose bush. There's always that God may direct certain things to be said or presented uh, for different people and at different times. So I love it because, again, we can't put God into a box that way, right? We can't put him into a box. And it is truly a spiritual dynamic thing that happens every day of our lives if we're humble and following. So turn to Acts chapter 2, and let's just see a couple examples of this thing that has really kind of set me free, too, as an evangelist, as someone who uh, enjoys giving the gospel. I'm sure you all enjoy giving the gospel, but I guess maybe it's part of my gift, too. Um, it set me free from worrying about my presentation, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, worrying about what I'm going to say, and really how that is a foolish thing. It's a foolish way to think, as though God can't use you and as though God can't fill your mouth at the appropriate time. 
So as we read some of Acts chapter 2, I want you to remember what we're about to read, starting in verse 36, is immediately, it's immediately after the apostles received the power of the Holy Spirit in this very same chapter. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're speaking in other tongues. They're giving the gospel in other languages that they don't even know. And then Peter presents the gospel to the whole crowd in Acts 2, 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. The first thing I want you to notice in verse 38 is how did Peter give the gospel? How did Peter answer their question in verse 37? Brethren, what shall we do? Do you remember in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer said to Paul, what should I do to be saved? Paul's answer was believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, right? You and your household. But Peter answers it totally differently, but with the same emphasis, the same leading to faith in Christ. Brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's a different way to give the gospel, right? I mean, do you see the word believe in there? Are we to say Peter was wrong in this presentation of the gospel? I hope not, especially when you read the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And you know they're full of the Holy Spirit right now. So is there, you know, more than one way to, I don't want to say skin a cat, I don't want to make light of it, but is there more than one way to present this gospel and lead people to faith in Christ? Absolutely. Different ways to say the same thing, really, according to what the crowd needs to hear. So this crowd of Jews needed to hear, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then notice in verse 40, uh, Peter continued on with many other words testifying about Christ. So we don't know how long he went on here, actually. And we don't know what else he said. But then in verse 41, those who had received his word were baptized. And that is another picture of faith. Right? If you receive somebody's message, that means you believe it. And that's what John 1.12 says. You know, I think... Uh, I don't know if it was the Lord speaking, but he said, whoever receives Christ has eternal life. So it's all leading to faith in Christ, but it's just a different way to give the gospel every single time. And it's a beautiful thing to embrace. Um, let's go also to Acts chapter 3. And look at verse 17. And again, this is Peter speaking to another group. He says, Now, brethren, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient time. So notice how Peter gave the gospel this time. He said, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. I thought you had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to have your sins wiped away. Well, you do. But it's the same thing. Repentance and, and faith are two sides of the same coin. All right? And and pastor gave this illustration a while ago. You know, repenting is... You're the same person. You're one person. You're not two people, and they're really not two acts. It's just a turning. It's from this belief system turning to Christ fully, you know, from this old way of doing things or from sinfulness or from self-reliance to Christ. And repenting in faith is really almost one action. It's the turning of a coin, if you will. So Peter says in verse 19, repent and return and your sins will be wiped away. Look at verse 26. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And there you see how repentance or turning from your evil ways is a blessing. He came to bless you by turning everyone from your evil ways. But what do we see again? Repentance. Admit you're in the wrong and admit that you need Christ. And look how this goes on in Acts 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message, what message? Repent and return, right? Your sins will be wiped away. Those that heard the message did what? Believed. So either you're going to believe what you hear or not, right? So do we need a direct instruction, you should believe in the Lord Jesus? Or do we lead them to the truth and give them the truth, and then the Holy Spirit helps them believe? Or they're too stubborn and they're not ready yet, right? So whoever heard that message in Acts chapter 3, they believed that message. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Are we to say that this was the wrong way to give the gospel, or was it an inaccurate way? What Peter said in Acts 3.19? I would dare not, right? And 5,000 came to believe in Christ. So here again we see a different gospel presentation that led people to saving faith. God may use us to give a variety of presentations also through his word that is in us. You have the word of God in you. Those of you that are faithful to the word of God, that you read your own Bibles, there's stuff in you you don't even know is in you. How many times have you said something and you're like, I didn't even know I knew that? To somebody else, you said something about the Bible or some verse came to your mind that you totally didn't know, you forgot about completely. And that's just the Holy Spirit. The Word is in you, and you cannot explain it. You cannot recall it by um, 
human will, you recall it by the Spirit in the time of need. And give in, surrender to that. It's a supernatural thing. And it's a wonderful thing because then the burden is not on us. It's totally on the Holy Spirit. You're doing your job by being trained, by submitting to the Word. And then God's going to use you to give a variety of presentations because the Word's already in you. And he, he can do anything with that. So these are all different calls to trusting faith and whatever is best to lead an individual to saving faith in Christ. So again, today we're talking about the fullness of the gospel. And something that has hit me lately in my own soul regarding giving the full gospel of Jesus Christ is that people don't understand and are not told by the average Christian the greatness of the magnitude between them and God. So we might call this the magnitude of the gap on the board. Notice in Peter's two gospel messages that we just read in Acts 2 and 3, he elaborated on the guilt of the people. He elaborated. He made them feel bad's not the right word, but he made them face the reality of their guilt and the depth of their guilt before he gave them the good news. How is it good news if there's nothing to be saved from? How, how, why, is some, why is your friend going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ when he doesn't even think he's a sinner? So Peter, and you should go home and read Acts 2 and 3 in context as a whole. Peter elaborated on the guilt, their guilt, their rejection of the Holy One, their sinfulness, and the gap between them and God, and how huge it was. That's what people today don't realize, I believe, especially in this location. So, Peter even said, uh, Jesus came to turn us from our evil ways. We just read that in Acts 3.26, right? Jesus came to turn us from our evil ways. And that includes self-sanctification. And that our own ways aren't good enough. Our own goodness isn't good enough with God. So on the board, the difference between a man's self-righteousness and God's righteousness is as high as the heavens are above the earth. People in our day and age, especially in our geographical location, think they're close. Right? You agree with me? Especially in cer- from certain denominations. They think they're close to being good enough to God. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good and I don't murder anybody. So therefore, I'm good. People think they're close, so they're under this massive deception because the magnitude of the difference between their sinfulness and God is as high as the heavens are from the earth. Just look up in the sky. That's how far you are from God. And people don't accept that or don't, whatever, realize that yet. And that's our job as witnesses. So go to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Let's just check out these couple verses which remind us of this stunning magnitude that people need to see. Again, on the board, the difference between a man's self-righteousness and God's righteousness is as high as the heavens, heavens are above the earth. They're not even close. Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our ways, including our goodness, are not even close to God's ways. So you know that verse, but think about it in this context on the board. And then look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. This goes right along with this, this, this idea. And this, this right here, this passage illustrates magnitude, like how far apart we are. Isaiah 64, verse 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Righteous deeds are like a filthy garment to God. Our own goodness, our best, our righteous acts without Christ in the Hebrew are compared to a menstrual rag. How's that for magnitude? How's that for how far your goodness is from His? And God says, listen, that's why you need to repent. That's why you need to turn. You think this is good over here. It's disgusting. Only I'm good. And you need to turn to Christ to wipe away your guilt. So this is what we battle in this geographical location, right? That we're in due to a large denomination in this area that many of us grew up in. And many of us have battled this in our own souls first, thinking we'll go to heaven because we're a pretty good person and we're not a murderer. So I'm all set. And it's just that nice little self-deception that Satan likes to keep you in, keep people in. You know, don't, don't disturb the apple cart. You're, 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 doing, you're doing a pretty good job. You're a good boy. You know, Satan's patting him on the back or whatever he's doing, saying, just keep going. Don't listen to the, you know, extreme message of your guilt of sin. You're, you're a good guy. And Satan talks just like that, doesn't he? He's smooth. He's flattering. And he makes evil look good. So we face this battle. We've done it in our own souls, many of us. And now when we share the gospel with others in this area who think they're self-righteous, we have that same hurdle to confront them with. In today's age, people think they're good enough to get to heaven if they live fairly moral lives or if they think God is one to overlook their sin because he's a God of love. So people don't realize the magnitude of the situation, and they need to be told that as part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like Peter confronted the Jews in Acts 2 and 3. People may reject it, all right? They're not all going to say, oh, my God, i got to repent. I'm wrong. What do I do? They're not all going to do that, but that's between them and the Lord. And those seeds you plant will last and will um, bother their soul by the grace of God over time. Another unfortunate reality that I've been reading about lately, as I'm you know, studying again the gospel and this uh, topic we're on, on the board, the gospel message today is often made about the individual and their comfort not about the need to satisfy the Lord and His majesty and righteousness. Again, the gospel message today in the Christian church is often made about the individual person and their comfort or discomfort, rather than the need to satisfy the Lord and His majesty and righteousness. 
some well-meaning Christians dilute the gospel into something that bandages someone else's wounds for selfish reasons, ultimately, but not for peace with the Lord God Almighty, who is our creator and our judge. So often, the deep sinful nature of a person's selfishness is never addressed because they think they're a good person. And as part of giving the gospel, we need to bring that up. The deeper need of reconciliation with a holy, righteous God on his terms of unconditional surrender is never addressed in today's day and age by many Christians. But this is the reality of the matter, isn't it? I mean, this is the issue. I was thinking about how people complain about their problems, right? Like, whether it's uh, you know, a little thorn in the flesh or a money problem or whatever. And then did you ever notice if somebody dies close to them, how they finally wake up and realize all those little things that they're complaining about are nothing, right? But it takes someone dying for you to realize that. Well, you know, same idea here. Um, people think everything's hunky-dory and not a big deal until they face the fact of God's holiness and righteousness. That's what you really got to think about. You're going to think about bandaging your wounds, your loneliness, your problems, whatever it is. You need to think about God and that you have to face him one day and that you're not good right now with him unless you're a believer in Christ. So this, I believe, is one reason that one must deny himself and follow him. Why Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me, because self is the God of every man and woman. Who is without Christ. Heck, we, we still keep falling back into our own self-worship, don't we? In some way. Self-preservation, self-worship, you know, thinking we're better than we are, whatever it is. Yeah, even as believers, we fall back into that. How much more, just think when you were an unbeliever, how much more were you what was important in life? And it all revolved around you. So that's why Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me. And remember Pastor's blog on selfism a while ago. Might be a good one to revisit, because that's been coming up for a while now. So on the board, saving faith is a surrender of the heart to God. Which means repenting from self-sufficiency or self-sanctification and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ instead. Instead. You see, it's one or the other. That's why Jesus said you have to deny yourself and follow me. It's one or the other. You can't be looking in both directions. You don't have eyes in the back of your head. Right? And if you turn your head too long, your neck breaks and you die. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was good. That's a good analogy. But you don't have eyes in the back of your head. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Uh, but you can't do both of these things on the board. You either have to surrender to God or keep following self and think you're good enough. It can't be both. You have to trust in self or trust in Christ for salvation. And as Jesus said in the first words of his public ministry in Mark 1.15, he said, repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Hmm. Two sides of the same coin, but the coin has to turn willingly and submit. And that's really what saving faith is all about. 
So again, the gospel should not be about man's discomforts in life. Man's legitimate desires to be loved, to be healthy, to be accepted by other people. Legitimate desires, that's fine. It's understandable. We all go through them, right? We all have them. But those things can become idols. And when those things are made the emphasis of the gospel, it waters down the gospel. And it makes it about them, not about the Lord. The gospel is about the Lord and his majesty. It's not about, you know, a person and their weakness. It is, but that's the secondary. You know what I mean? Yes, you're a sinner. You need to be saved from your sins. But do you realize who God is? Do you realize who Christ really is? Do you realize that you have to face him and that he can't overlook sin? And you're not, you know, you're not in good standing right now? So it's about him. And legitimate desires can get in the way of an honest, full gospel. So really we're back to the need for fear of the Lord. You remember the Spirit brought that up earlier this year? Fear of the Lord. And our fear of the Lord is a sign of true faith. It's one of those signs of obedience. It's one of those signs that you did have true faith in Christ. That you have a healthy fear and respect and awe of God. Because He is who He is. Right? The creator of all things and the judge in the end. So it's not believe in Jesus and all your problems will go away. That's the weak gospel that has been perpetuated in our day and age. And that's a subtle, wrong motivation leading people to believe in him for what they can get. Where really it should be about God. So on the board, when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to direct people to take their eyes off themselves and their personal desires and take a look at God and his righteous demands and then his indescribable love. You know, again, stop thinking about your thorn in the flesh. Think about death, right? Your thorn in the flesh pales in comparison to death. So put your eyes on God. Take your eyes off yourself. Put your eyes on God. He's the one you're going to face one day. Do you realize where you stand with him right now without Christ? So when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to direct people to take their eyes off themselves and their personal desires and take a look at God and his righteous demands first and then at his indescribable love. And if you read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, we're not going to read it this morning, but that's what you see in that beautiful little sermon there, that beautiful explanation, is the sinfulness of man, the, the, the depths of man's guilt, and then the kindness of God coming on the scene. But the sin and the guilt, the, the magnitude between a person and God, the distance between them needs to be magnified first. right? And then the good news of his indescribable love. So the fullness of the gospel starts with God's justice, we might say, and then flows to his love. Starts with God's justice. It's about him and his son. And then it flows to the solution, which is what his love did for us on the cross. People need to be told about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person came to save you who is God himself in the flesh. And what did he come to save you from? Sinfulness. Guilt. Did he do that for nothing? Did he come down and go through that for nothing? Or was it absolutely necessary because you really are a sinner? You really are unable to satisfy God on your own. 
If they don't believe they're sinners, take them through the Ten Commandments. Right? I know I, I confront people. I see people to have a discussion that really don't think they're sinners. I have a cousin. It drives me crazy. No matter how many times I say to them, you know, you're a sinner. You have to realize that and you need Christ. And this person will say to me, I'm not a sinner. Because she's generally a good person and moral and blah, blah, blah. Okay? Helps people. So take them to the Ten Commandments. Have you kept all those? And the Bible says if you break one command, you've broken them all. So now, what are you standing on, right? Have a conversation. It's okay. And the humble person will pretty quickly see that they're insufficient and that they fall short of God's righteous demands. God's righteous demands are perfection, right? God cannot look upon sin in Habakkuk 1.13. He can't even look upon sin. So if you have one sin and therefore you're guilty in God's eyes, what do you expect him to do unless you turn to his son for redemption? So it's not about believing the message itself, but more so about the person himself, the one who did this amazing thing for us sacrificially. It's about the person. And that's what the Spirit's been saying the last year or so. It's about the person. It's personal. God did not just send a tract. He sent his son down to do the job. God didn't send the Old Testament prophets to tell people the facts alone. God sent the Old Testament prophets to tell people that he was coming. Right? One of my favorite verses, and I forget what book it's in right now, but it's where in the Old Testament God says, I will come save my people. Some people think Jesus isn't God or Jesus and Jehovah aren't the same individual. God said, I will come save my people, and I'm the only Savior. And that's who we worship. That's who we believe in, right? So we don't believe in the message. We believe in the person. And that's really what it's all about, and that's what makes it personal. It is personal. And I'm not saying it's bad to use tracks, salvation tracks, at times. I, I use them all the time, if that's my only way to share the gospel. But gospel tracks should not be your staple. Like, here you go. I really don't want to talk to you because I'm a little, whatever, scared or whatever I am. Here you go, and you run away. The gospel track should not be a staple. You should have confidence that the Spirit who is in you will help you say the right thing at the right time. You should relax, because you have the good news, and they don't. And love should overtake your fear. Instead of having a fear of giving the gospel, what are you going to say? Think about how much God loved you, and think about how much God loves them. And that kind of love will overcast any fear that you're letting get in, get in the way of being a good servant of his message. So, in witnessing to others, we let the light of Christ shine by our words and actions, right? And that doesn't take our ability, but simply our humility. Listen, we're all knuckleheads. We all, we all struggle for the right words. I do as an evangelist. That's my gift. And sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, as my, many of my friends know. <laughs> I supposedly have a gift. But it sometimes it doesn't come out the way I plan or the way I want. And that's because I'm getting in the way when that happens. 
I'm saying I have to figure out the right way to say this thing. But Paul said it's not about smoothness of speech, right? He said it's about Christ and him crucified. And just if you have the right heart, as we're going to see, God's going to give you the words. Let love rule in your heart instead of preoccupation with self. So again on the board, in witnessing to others, we let the light of Christ shine by our words and our actions. And that does not take our ability. It simply takes humility, a willingness to be used by him. And then we watch him go to work through us. That's the reality. So instead of worrying about the wording of your presentation, which is really relying on human effort and wisdom, if you think about it, we should be focused on building a relationship with others. That person that God puts in your life for a reason, no coincidences, right? That person he confronts you with at work or that person that helps you uh, change your, your tire on the road. That person was brought to you by God, and we are to focus on building relationships with people as a means of giving the gospel, being a friend even to people, whether they accept the gospel immediately or not. And if we relate to people by his love, if we relate to people, if we actually stop thinking about ourselves and, and become concerned about that other individual who may very well be headed for the lake of fire, we will then, they will then see that love. That's given the gospel. That's part of it. And the scripture tells us, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will fill your mouth. And let's see that as a healthy reminder. Go to Luke chapter 12, verse 11. The Lord himself says this. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just have the right heart. Just be ready. Just be willing. And the Spirit will fill your mouth. Look at Luke 12, 11. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are going to speak in your defense or what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In that very hour. See, that's spiritual dynamic. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the current moment. And the Spirit does that. When we submit to Him, even as believers... And we, we submit and we admit we need him to guide us. He does it. And God only knows, literally, what needs to be said at that very moment in time to those individuals that brought you before the authorities and are challenging or questioning your faith. So let that be a, a really healthy reminder for this Thanksgiving dinner that we all face funny we talk about it like going to war or something right we all face the holidays with our family but it's true <laughs> because what did jesus say he's going to separate you know he's the the mother from the mother-in-law and the, the daughter from the uh, you know what i'm saying the daughter from the mother-in-law you know everyone in the family is not going to agree on purpose there's not going to be peace in the family so that his word and truth can get out and the truth will cause dissension because not everyone's going to accept it but as we face Thanksgiving dinner, this verse is what we've got to think about. Don't worry about how or what you're going to say. Build a relationship with that unbeliever 
at dinner. Have a good time, relax, talk about sports, whatever they want to talk about. And then guess what? Now you have a bond. You're showing them love, even if this might be someone that you already have a disagreement between. There's, a, there's something between you, right? But because you overlook that and show them love, there's a, there's, a, there's a bond, there's a spiritual dynamic happening. And maybe, just maybe, God's setting the stage for the right time for the, you to give the gospel later on that day or later on that, that week, I don't know. But we need to stop worrying about what we're going to say and just trust the Holy Spirit because you have the word in you. That's all. So if your heart is right, the Spirit will lead you into what to say at the right time. So back to witnessing and even forming a friendship, if possible. The Bible says in Proverbs, I think it's chapter 17, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. It's that type of friendship that the world isn't familiar with, right? That is super rare in this world. Loving at all times, I'm talking about. And that may eventually lead one to accept Christ because they see that over time, his love is flowing out from you to them, and it's a a love they're unfamiliar with and that it, it wears on them in a good way. It breaks them down to the point where they'll be ready to hear the gospel. And on the board, you may even get the opportunity to act as a friend towards an enemy. And that light of Christ will be so glaring in the darkness that they have to stare at it. Have you ever been in like a dark, dark, dark room? Or have you been outside when there's clouds and there's no light from the sky at all? It's pitch, pitch dark. And even a small match lit on the other side of the street looks like the sun. It looks so bright. Even a flashlight in this pitch, pitch dark, you're drawn to it. And that's what love does for us. Christ's love in us does that to people. Even your enemies have to stare because everything else is so dark. You see? And this is what God calls us to do, to live in, as part of giving the gospel. Go to Luke 6, verse 27. And let's see what the Lord said about this again. Again, on the board, you may even get the opportunity to act as a friend towards an enemy. And that light of Christ will be so glaring in the darkness that it must be stared upon. Now, you know this scripture we're about to read, but don't be familiar with this. Look at what the Lord is telling us to do. All right? If we'll hear. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners 
in order to receive back the same amount. Wow, is the Lord telling us something or what? How much time did he just spend on those examples? Didn't he repeat himself several times? I think he's saying, stop thinking you're spiritual because you love those that love you. And we can fall into that trap. Stop thinking you're the spiritual giant because you're loving others that love you. Sinners do that. No, you're called to a supernatural life in verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So we're acting like God himself when we're kind to ungrateful and evil men. That's the mind of Christ. And of course we have to have the right heart to do that. We shouldn't be acting like a robot. But there's something to really consider. And I think we need to read that passage over and over again to glean more of what he's trying to say to us about the supernatural life and even about giving the gospel by our example. That's his supernatural light shining forth when you love your enemies, not when you love your friends, right? And that is what people are going to notice. So back to being a friend and giving the gospel and allowing that friendship to create a fertile soil for them hearing the gospel. It's not about giving the gospel with our predetermined words and then walking away. Although there will be times and situations where you're called to just say something and walk away. But it's not about predetermined words and running away, should I say, after spilling the gospel. On the board, it's not only about what we say, it's the heart behind what we say. Are we speaking out of love as a friend, for example? And then once we have that right heart, it's in following or allowing the Spirit to fill our mouths. How much we've been learning about God looking at the heart, right? And when I think about when I was younger in the faith and giving the gospel to people, how sometimes my heart wasn't right, you know? Whether I was resentful towards someone or, or I was judging them or whatever was going on in my, my heart, it wasn't the heart of love, you know? It wasn't that. It was something a little different at times. But your heart's got to be right. And then God does all the work. What, is, what, what have we been hearing? Humility. Just be humble. Realize who you are. Realize you're nothing without him. And then watch him work. As pastor's been saying also lately, salvation is a process for many people. Many of us it was a process for. It took years for many of us to come to Christ, even though we heard about him. As we plant seeds... The Spirit is convicting people of their sinfulness and of their need to be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. And so we should reach out to enter into relationships with others, even asking for their help at times. I'll give you an example of that in a minute. But as part of building that relationship, in other words, almost like be a normal person. You know what I mean? Be willing to relate to that sinner or that unbeliever who you were before. And even though you're not now, 
maybe subtly you get on a high horse or you say, why don't they understand when you were the same fool just years ago, right? So we need to learn to be human and real with people and give others a chance to enter our lives, not just be robotic Christians who give the gospel and run, often without the right heart. Listen, these are people that are destined for the lake of fire, right? I mean, what more motivation do you need to step back and love them and stop thinking about yourself, right? And we all do it. I'm not condemning anybody. We all do that. But we're being called now to step it up, I think. We're being called now to live by faith and to do it his way and to be concerned about people just like the Lord was. This is all part of the fullness of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave us this example himself. We're not going to turn there, but if you remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus asked that woman for some water. Why did Jesus ask that woman for some water? Seriously, did he need it? Did he need her to do it? Why did he ask her for water? Well, why do you ask somebody for help? Maybe you should ask people for help as part of building a relationship of some kind, some kind of a bond, whatever it is. Be, being a real person. And here's Jesus, God himself in the flesh, perfect. And he says, I'm going to be human. I'm going to act human. I'm not going to, even though he had the right to, put himself on a pedestal. He didn't even do that. He's like, I'm going to relate to this person because now I'm one of them. And I also know where they're going. What can I do to relate to them? I know. I'll ask them for a cup of water. See where it goes. I don't know. Just giving you an example, though. Maybe the Lord was creating some type of a bond because later on in that conversation, he ended up offering her living water. On the board again. We need to learn to be human and real and give others a chance to enter our lives, not just be robotic Christians that give the gospel and run. And we're to be witnesses of his person, his person. If we represent him like we should, then we are witnesses of his care, right, for others, of his love and his forgiveness. And if you have a hard time with this, May I suggest that you reassess all that he saved you from? If you have a hard time expressing love, especially to your enemies, may I suggest you think back to what he saved you from. Do you remember what he did for you? He was forgiven much, loves much. Luke 7, 47. Do you remember how much you've been forgiven? I think it's healthy to look back and remember the things you've done or said. Maybe even the times you rejected God to his face. I don't know. We all have our journeys. And we all have things that are unforgivable in human terms that God forgave. Right? So the more you dwell on that and you realize how much you've been forgiven, the more you're going to love. And it's going to be easy for you to love others who don't deserve it. Even your enemies 
when you remember how much he forgave you of because you and I were his enemies before. The Bible says every one of us were his enemies. Even if you think you were a good person, you were his enemy. And he didn't turn his back on you. And he reached out to you and me. And so that remembrance should enable us to live in the love of Christ much easier. And then we tell about his marvelous deeds as his witnesses. In Luke's version of the Great Commission, we're told that our objective objective is to be a witness of his person. And that's both in word and deed. Go to Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Luke 24, 45. Boy, Luke is really our book this morning, huh? I just noticed that. So this is what we might call Luke's version of the Great Commission, which we see in Matthew 28. But it's said a little differently. In verse 45, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We're witnesses of him and what he did, right? Not just a track. We're to tell about his deeds and we're to tell about repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says something similar. Go to Acts 1, 8. Christ's last words commanded the disciples to witness about him, the person, the person. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. His witnesses. Talk about him. Tell people about him. You know what I mean? Make it personal. It's not just the facts of the gospel. I'll often say to people in giving the gospel, do you realize who Jesus Christ really is? You might be talking to someone that, that belongs to a certain religion or denomination that says they believe in Jesus, but they believe in another Jesus. They believe he was a good guy or a prophet, you know, <clears throat> maybe even the Son of God, but they don't believe that means he's God. And I like to bring that up, you know. Do you realize who he really is? I, I'd really, out of love, I don't want you to be missing something here. Do you realize who he really is? And then talk about him. Tell about him. You know all about him. Don't try to figure your words ahead of time. You know all about him. Let the Spirit pour out of you what he wants to about him. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. They're one and the same. The Spirit of Christ in you is going to tell about Christ if you're humble. We're to testify that Christ is who he says he is. And that includes the reality that he's Lord. Lord of all people, Lord of all creation. And that must be recognized as part of the fullness of the gospel. On the board, people need to know 
that they need to adjust to the justice of God, and thus the need for repentance for forgiveness of sins being proclaimed in his name. Luke 24, 47. They need to know that they need to adjust. They're out of line. They're out of alignment with God, even though they think they're good with him. When a person repents of his sinfulness and guilt, he's adjusting to the justice of God. He's aligning himself with God's thinking. And let's remember that even repentance is a grace gift from God. It's not something that people work up on their own through human will. It's a humility issue. It's a gift of God given to the humble. And let's be reminded of that right now in Acts 5.31. Let's look at a couple verses just to remind ourselves, it's all a gift from him. It's all a gift from him. We know faith is a gift from him in Ephesians chapter 2. And the Bible says even repentance is a gift from him. And God gives grace to the humble. Look at Acts 5.31. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It's a gift. Even repentance is a gift that God grants to those that are humble. Look at Acts 11, verse 18. Acts eleven eighteen. I like all the verses are close together, so we don't have to waste too much time finding books, huh? get through a little bit more this morning. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. God granted it. It's a gift. Grants repentance. And then go to Romans 2, 4. The very next book, Romans 2, 4. So don't worry about, you know, telling people they need to repent. That's a, that's a work of God in itself. He's going to do this thing or give this to them if they're willing, right? So Romans 2.4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Don't ask me how that works exactly. I think it's a supernatural spiritual thing. But the kindness of God is what leads people to repentance. And the Holy Spirit is at work. And he's doing his thing. So again, the point on the board, people need to know that they need to adjust to the justice of God. And thus the need for repentance, for forgiveness of sins, being proclaimed in his name. Part of the gospel is calling people to repentance, to admitting that they're wrong and sinful and also to admitting that they can't save themselves. I was thinking, isn't it like the whole two sides of the coin thing in terms of people's weaknesses? Like some people have a tendency towards immoral degeneracy and then others have a tendency more towards moral degeneracy, right? I'm a good person. I'm sufficient. Look at me, right? So whichever one it is, it's still self, 
whether it's overt sinfulness or whether it's self-reliance, it's still turning from self. That's what repentance is. And people need to be called to the carpet and say, you need to admit you can't save yourself. Understanding the magnitude of that reality makes fertile soil, and it makes someone ready to trust in Christ to save their lives. Another way to put this on the board, the fullness of the gospel must include an emphasis on our need for reconciliation with a perfect holy God. The fullness of the gospel must include an emphasis on our need for reconciliation with a perfect holy God. When you see that word reconciliation, just think of a peace treaty. You're not at peace right now with God, but you need to sign his peace treaty. He already signed it in his blood, but you need to sign it if you want to be saved. As the Spirit mentioned earlier, it's first about God and his majesty. It's not about man and his needs. The content of our message should be about Christ and God and who he is and his authority and power and rights to our lives. Not about our personal journey to faith even, although the Spirit might use that at times with certain people. But there's a message that's been committed to us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a message that's been committed to us. It's a word of reconciliation to the world. And really, this is very similar to calling people to repentance. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Accept his offering of peace. Be reconciled to God. Believe in the Lord Jesus and accept that peace treaty. So we must make an issue of the need of reconciliation when sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, people, um, Pastor brought up uh, a couple weeks ago about people with the coexist bumper stickers, right? Remember that? Coexist. And you see all the different religious symbols on the sticker and everything. And I believe people get that because they want peace, right? I mean, who doesn't want peace? No more war, right? Let's all be friends. No more war. It, it makes sense on, on, on the surface level. And who doesn't, who wants war, Right? Okay, but many good people think they have peace with God just because of this attitude, just maybe just because of this desire for everyone to be at peace. And they deceive themselves into thinking maybe everything's all right, or this is the way to do it. Let's just be at peace with everybody. And they don't turn and face God and reconcile the fact that they're, they're not sufficient with him. Maybe they don't know it yet. Maybe they don't understand it yet. There was a time I didn't. 
But God's preparing every single human on this earth for a day to hear the gospel fully and properly. He's preparing their hearts and their souls for this. But a lot of people in the end times are going to be saying, peace, peace. And then, bam, destruction. And look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's take a look at this because I think this is something else we're dealing with and seeing right before our eyes in these end times that I think we live in. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, or coexist, whatever they're saying, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. A lot of people are asleep today, denying their need for peace with God. On the board, those who are spiritually sleeping in this world, and that that biblically means anybody without Christ, they need to be made aware that they're sinners, that they do not have peace with God right now, and that they can't have peace with God on their own merits. No matter what God they're following, no matter how good they are, they need to be made aware of the need to repent, admitting their guilt, and submitting in humility before a holy and righteous God. Again, it's about submitting. It's about surrender of the heart to God and His Son. And who did Jesus come for? Sinners, right? What did He lead the sinners to do? Anybody? Repent, right? Yep. He didn't just come and have dinner with them which he did, he led them to repentance. Let's, let's take a look at that, because I think that's something we overlook a little bit. Go back to Luke chapter 5. So even Jesus himself, not only did he say repent and believe the gospel, but he actively, in relationships, led sinners to repentance. He led people to repentance in love. Right? Without, without repentance, without a changing of your mind, of your ways you're not going to need to trust in Christ. It's all part of the, the whole or the fullness of the gospel. Look at Luke 5, verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
And I just imagine Jesus having a loving talk around the table with all the sinners that were comfortable around him because he wouldn't judge them. But at the same time, he led them to repentance. He wasn't just dining with them, condoning their sin. He talked with them. He had a relationship with them. And he, out of love, explained the situation. And that's all God wants us to do in giving the gospel. Out of love, explain the whole picture. Don't give a half gospel because you're shy to or you don't want to confront people or whatever. If it's out of love, you're doing it the right way, and they'll receive it. He gives them the whole picture. He's like, you know, come, follow me. What you're doing, your ways are wrong. They're against the Lord God, your creator. Come with me. I'll give you a new life. It's really, really that simple. Repentance is a reality that the sinner is called to. Every sinner is called to. Whether you use that word or not, fine. But it's a change of mind. It's an, it's an admittance of guilt. Whatever you want to call it, every sinner is called to come to that place, that point. And as we've been seeing, that's part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's part of the good news that people not only need to repent, but can repent. And that God graciously grants it to them that are humble. It's good news, as Pastor has been saying lately, for one to admit that they can't do it on their own. Isn't that good news? That that weight, that unbearable weight on your shoulders as a sinner that's trying to meet up to God's standards can be lifted off and thrown to the side. And Jesus says, come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It'll be easy. My load is light. Without repentance, people don't, don't go there. They won't throw that load off their shoulders. But the humble person will be like, yes. You mean I can admit that I can't do it on my own? Awesome. I'm ready. What do I need to do? And I think Jesus will help you say, believe in him, right? Do we have to worry about the words? It's the heart of the matter. It's the conversation of letting people know the whole picture. And it's all good news. So as we close, people first need to realize that as sinners, they need reconciliation with the holy God, a just God. Again, the, the gospel, I think, starts with the justice of God first, and then it flows to his love. Without knowing where you stand and your lack of footing with God, this, you, you don't know what he did for you and understand how loving his actions were. You know what I mean? So, the good news is that somebody paid your debt. But you have to admit there's a debt before you accept the payment. The fullness of the gospel starts with the justice of God, and then it flows out to his love. And as we've been learning, if there's nothing to repent from, to be saved from, there's no need to turn to Christ from the heart. There's no need to trust in him. So people need to know, again, the fullness of the gospel. This is why Jesus said, or would say, deny yourself and follow me. Self is in the way. Deny yourself and follow me. Self is in the way. In some way or another, it's in the way. 
one must turn away from self-reliance and or sinfulness and repent before they can trust in Christ for salvation. As Jesus said in Mark 1.15, right? Repent and believe the gospel. So I think we'll close on that note and uh, we'll pick this up next Sunday morning. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another wonderful day together as your family, fellowshipping in your word and with your spirit. And if anyone is listening right now who has never trusted in the Lord Jesus for their salvation, we ask that you graciously help them turn to your son. You are a sinner, as we all are, and you need a savior. Repent of your sinfulness. Turn from your self-reliance and bow to Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's there right now waiting for you to surrender. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Father, we thank you for anyone who has believed today for the very first time. We welcome them to your family as your children, adopted by your grace. Please bless us as we go and help us give special thanks to you all this week as we know all good things come from you, Father, above. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for everything. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.